did my first CrossFit competition yesterday. Yeah, and so I know what you're thinking. Man, Pastor Aaron's looking kind of fit. Is he going to leave ministry and become a full-time CrossFit athlete, right? Uh, and so I, I can say that yesterday I did place third in my division, which, yeah, it's awesome. There were only three people in my division. So you have no, there's no risk of me leaving doing that. Like it was, it was it was bad, to say the least, but I'm here. I'm moving a little bit slower today. I might be moaning a little bit when I move, uh, but it was awesome. So, uh, hey, uh, when, I, when I use the term, uh, when I talk about, like, your cup, like, symbolically, like, your cup is full, your cup is empty, you understand, you understand kind of what I'm talking about there, like, what that means? So, so when someone says, my cup is full, like, they, they have everything that they need, or my cup is empty, you think, well, something's happened and they've been... Deplaned, uh, uh, depleted and deprived of the resources they need, right? So you, you understand, you understand that, that context. So, so when you think about like your cups in your life, they probably are varying degrees of sizes and have different capacities. So uh, a food cup, for instance. So some of you guys, like you, you eat to live, right? I live to eat our food cups are probably a little bit different. They look different. Like, so it takes a little bit more to fill my food cup to it where it's the capacity where it's overflowing than maybe some of you. Or, or maybe your, like, your money cup. Like, some of you, like, that's really important. Some of us, that's really important. Some of you, it's, you know, it's, it's no big deal. I have enough. I have what I need. I don't really worry about it. And so cups, cups look different. Your, uh, your self-esteem cup some of you guys are rock solid. I see it. Like, you just, you're unshakable. Others of us who maybe wear uh, our hearts on our sleeves a little bit, like that self-esteem cup, uh, it, it's dumped out, depleted much quicker than maybe some of you other people. So when I say, what's the capacity, what's the, the current status of your cup, what, what is it that comes to mind? What do you think of? So I, I, have, I have made a list, I've compiled a list of just so you can get to know me a little bit better, right? As, as church family members here, I just want you to know a little bit about me. I have, I have different cups in my life. And so I thought through, uh, so, so what are some of the cups that I have in my life? And the first cup that I have that I thought of uh, is my salad cup, right? This is the cup that signifies how much salad I'm required to have to be at capacity, 
you'll notice it is a really small cup. It does not take long for me to be at salad capacity, okay? So, so with that in mind, let's kind of move on from there. I, I, have a, I have a workout cup. It's not much bigger, right? Now, it is bigger than my salad cup, but it takes about 45 seconds for that thing to be full and I'm done. Like, I have all the working out that I need. Uh, that's, that's my workout cup. I have a, um, let's think through, like, again, maybe like self-esteem cup where this one, it's a little bit more insulated, but a little bit bigger, but it's, 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 it doesn't kind of narrow down. It's just kind of straight, so dumping it out is super easy. It empties really quick, but it fills up really quick too. And so this maybe represents how, like, words of affirmation, all the things that I need that, like, to, to keep my self-esteem up, whatever that looks like. Uh, I have a, uh, like, a crowd, like, being in crowd cup. Like, this is really insulated. It's a little bit bigger. I'm able to kind of put a cap on it to kind of hold it. But, but at some point, I reach a capacity where I need to not be in crowds. I need to go home. I need to unplug. Uh, otherwise, this thing will be depleted. And then the other cup that I have is I thought through all the important cups in my life. I have the cup that represents the intimacy between my wife and I. It's a lot of room in that cup. So, no commentary, Chuck. All right? So, so, so wherever you are, whatever you do, like you have different cups. You have, you have varying degrees of things. And I think given the circumstance, given the situation, you're going to find that, that these, these will change. They will evolve. They will grow. They will shrink. Sometimes they break. Sometimes you have to throw them away and start over. But, but you have cups that represent the capacity to do, exist, to live in this world. So as Christians, we, uh, when we talk about our cup and our cup being full, it has significant Connotations, Like, you hear that a lot in church. In, in fact, there is a, a really famous psalm written by David, Psalm 23, uh, that, that he talks about his cup. And this, this is what David says about his cup. He says, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. You probably have heard this. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his name's sake, even though I walk through the darkest valley. Some translations call that the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. Here it is. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So David, who, by the way, was walking through the valley of the shadow of death, the darkest valley, in the presence of his enemies, what does he say about his cup? What's the status of it, his spiritual cup? It isn't just full. Yeah. It's overflowing. It's pouring out the top. Now think about this. We read this psalm, and I love it, and I've not stopped to think about the implications of that. Like, David is arguably in one of the worst possible situations ever. Ever. He's in the valley of the shadow of death, the darkest valley, the worst place that he could possibly be. Oh, and by the way, when he gets to that place, guess who's there? His enemies. And yet, his cup overflows. 
There's a fundamental truth that we as followers of Jesus Christ or prospective followers of Jesus Christ, we have to at least be in a position to admit. You might not agree with it yet, but you have to at least admit that, hey, okay, I don't, I don't feel this. I certainly don't experience it. It doesn't feel like my life is this way, but, but you have to get to a place where you can admit or acknowledge that we live, we serve, we exist in a place where we have a God who gives us everything we need. We're gonna build upon this. I need you to understand. God will give you everything you need, even if the thing that you need isn't what you want. It's important. We've talked about this, I feel like, over the last several months, the difference between needs and wants and how God interacts with that. So we have a God who will give us everything we need, even if the thing that we need isn't what we want. And again, we'll use David as an example. He had everything he needed. I guarantee you he did not want to be in the valley of the shadow of death. I know he didn't. He's human. I guarantee you that he didn't want to be in the presence of his enemies. He's much more suited, much more comfortable being in the presence of his friends, his family, his buddies. But he says that even in those situations, I have everything that I need. God was faithful to give him everything he needed and more. Part of the walk that we have, part of our obligation as followers of Jesus Christ is getting to a place where we can at least admit that. Now, it's hard. Don't let anyone else tell you that it's easy. People who tell you it's easy to live that way, that your cup is, is being filled, like they, they're lying to you or they're, they're ignorant. This world, the, the world that we live in, gives us all sorts of reasons to believe that our cup has a hole in the bottom, that it's shattered, that it can't contain, that it's empty, that God's not providing. One of Satan's greatest tools is to whisper that in your ear. But according to this, this is scripture, not Aaron, God gives us everything we need even if the thing we need isn't what we want. That's important. It's important because we're going to move into a story in the Gospel of John. So if you have your Bibles, John chapter 21, you can go ahead and open them up and follow along with me. You can use the Version Bible app, or it will be on the screen here as well. And I'm going to read verses 15 through 17 real quick, and then we're going to, we're going to have to work our way back through it because there's a ton going on. Let me just set the stage here in John chapter 21. And this is... This is what is recorded. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. So to understand this dialogue, the text here, I think you have to rewind a little bit, and I think you have to, you have to understand who Peter is. Maybe more importantly, you have to understand Peter and Jesus's relationship, because a lot has happened to get them to this point. And so Peter's a guy, if you do not know, uh, he, <laughs> he's polarizing. Like he's a guy in the Gospels that, that for me, I can, I can relate to because of some of the ups and downs that he has. He's a guy that leads with his heart, 
Uh, he was the first disciple that Jesus called. And if you remember how that went, uh, Jesus goes out, sees Peter fishing. He says, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And Peter, without question, jumps out of the boat and goes and he follows Jesus. And, and, and because Peter was such a, I think, a uh, speak first, think later type of person, he got himself into some really good situations and into some really bad situations. Like passion can be amazing, but can also be dangerous. And Peter was clearly a passionate person. So Peter was a person, the first disciple on record to record Jesus as the son of God. Like that's amazing. He did that well. But in the same breath, because of his passion, he told Jesus, hey, I'm not gonna let any trouble come upon you. And so this whole crucifixion thing, thing you talked about, I'm gonna stop it. And what did Jesus say to Peter? He said, get behind me, Satan, right? And not a good situation. Peter was the guy who, who swore that no trouble would come to Jesus. Like he would protect him to the end, even if it meant his own life. And, and, and when Jesus was arrested, guess what Peter did? He grabbed the sword from one of the centurions and you know, he lopped off an ear. That's pretty awesome. He was passionate. Peter was the, also the guy that not shortly after that denied Christ, not once, not twice, but three times. The Gospel of Luke records this, uh, the denial saga, I think, better than the others. At least at the last part when uh, Peter, on the third time that he denies Jesus, Luke records that Peter and Jesus make eye contact. It's gut-wrenching. So here in the end of John, Peter's life, you have to assume that it was, it was chaos. Everything that he thought he was going to be probably was over. I mean, he deserved it. He broke. He folded under pressure. He was a coward. He lied. He did the thing that he said he wasn't going to do. And so he goes back, the text says, to uh, what he knew to do. He, he goes back to his fishing boat, his old way of life. And this is how uh, John records the information or the events leading up to this conversation between Jesus and Peter. It says this, 21 verses 1 through 3. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee, and it happened this way. I love how John records this section. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were there. I'm going to go out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. So Peter, his time as a disciple wasn't really going that well. He kind of let Jesus down, and here he gets back in the boat, and things don't get much better. The one thing he was good at, the one thing he was known for before he stopped and followed Jesus, like he's not able to even do that anymore. And the text continues. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. And he called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. Throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net because of a large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and he jumped into the water. Yet another example of Peter acting before he thought. Now, when I read this, just to give you some, uh, some insight into how when I read the Bible, what connections I make. Have you ever seen the movie Forrest Gump? 
I need you to nod yes or no, because this is important. I was going to understand this reference. So there's a scene in Forrest Gump when Forrest was a shrimp and boat captain, right? And he's driving, and he sees Lieutenant Dan sitting on the dock, and he's waving at Lieutenant Dan, and he just dives into the, the, the bayou to swim to Lieutenant Dan. You remember that? And he swims up to him, and they have this really cool conversation, and Lieutenant Dan says, I'm going to get my sea legs. And Forrest says, but Lieutenant Dan, you ain't got no legs, right? Remember that? And the boat crashes into the dock, and Forrest goes, that's my boat. That's what I imagine here when I see this. Like Peter, with complete and total disregard. Now, I'm not comparing Peter to Forrest Gump. That's not what I'm doing. But just the passion that Forrest had to see Lieutenant Dan, that, that's what happened here with Peter. He couldn't. He couldn't wait another second. And so he, he just dove headfirst into the water. He swam as fast as he could to get to the person that he loved, that he loved the most. Verses 8 through 14 says this, the other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish. They weren't that far from shore, about 100 yards. When they landed, they saw a fire burning in the coals. There were fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. Now, I, this, again, let's stop and just talk about Peter for a second. Earlier, we learned that the, the fish, it was too heavy for the disciples to pull into the boat, and Peter here runs to the boat, and he grabs it, and he's able to just drag it to the shore. There's, Peter seems to be a big guy, right? Probably like, like just bulky, muscly, was able to just, just manhandle it to the shore. It was full of large fish, 153. I love the detail here. But even with so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew that it was the Lord. Jesus came and took bread and gave it to them, and he did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Now, when they arrived on shore, the, the more sensible disciples, when they stayed in the boat and they paddled up, what did they see? Well, Jesus had cooked him breakfast. Again, you go back to Psalm 23, right? You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and there's no enemies there, but Jesus is basically there to provide them with everything that they need. And so they sit down, and, and, and this is one of those conversations that I would love to have some more information on in the text. Just a little bit. Like, what did they talk about? What did the disciples ask him? Like, what was it like? What did you see? What did you experience? What is next? And so they finished the dialogue, they finished breakfast, and then after breakfast was over, Jesus kind of looks at Peter and he says, Simon, Peter, we need to have a talk. You need to come over here with me. Now, I've been in conversations like this. I've been on the receiving end uh, and the delivering end of these conversations, and they are tough. This is the moment in these conversations when, when, when your heart, right, begins to beat harder and faster, your stomach gets tight, you get sweaty, because you know that there's potential for confrontation to come. Like, you have to have the conversation, but you dread what could possibly happen. And so when Jesus calls Peter over, you have to think, you have to think that he's like, okay, this is it. This is where he's going to put me in my place. And Peter deserved it. Like, Peter deserved whatever was going to come to him. If there was ever a place in the entire text for Jesus to lecture, for Jesus to condemn, for Jesus to rebuke, for Jesus to discipline, it's right here. Peter had it coming, right? He did the thing that he said he would not do. He wasn't just a coward. He was a lying coward. You can't be a disciple. You can't be the rock on which Jesus builds his church if you're those things. And so not one of us, right? I don't think not one of us here would, would blame Jesus if he just let Peter have it here. 
if you put him in his place, if you set him down and let him know just exactly, just exactly what he did that was wrong. But he doesn't. He simply asks a question. Maybe the most important question ever. He says, Peter, do you love me more than these? Do you love me? Do you love me more than these? Now, the these there in that sentence, the these there uh, in this verse, like, not entirely sure what that could implicate or what that's meaning. Some scholars think maybe they're talking about the fish that Peter just caught. I find that unlikely. Uh, some say, well, maybe he's like, do you love me more than the other disciples love me? Maybe, but what I think Jesus is trying to communicate here to Peter, at least when I've walked away from my study, I'm confident that, that Jesus is saying, do you love me the most? Am I the most important thing in your life? Am I your number one? Do you love me, Peter? Peter says, yeah, Lord, you, you know all things. You know everything about me. You know my inside and my outside. You know my thoughts. I know who you are, so yes, you know that I love you. And Jesus simply responds then with, feed my lambs. That's it. Th there's no discipline. There's no chastising, right? There's no verbal lashing. He simply says, Peter, if you love me, then this is what you will do. There is a confession and then a calling. In Excel, uh, the, the, it's called an if-then statement, right? Like, like you put in an equation, you can make criteria. Like if this is true, then this has to happen. And we have these in life too. Maybe they're not as authoritative in life, but, but if this is true, then this must be the case. That's what's happening here in the text, right? Jesus isn't asking Peter to feed his lambs. He's simply saying, if this is true, if you love me more than these, if this is really how you feel, then I want you to feed my lambs. Okay? Jesus continues. One more time. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Second time. He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus says, take care of my sheep. Two times now. Then, then, then he continues, one more time. The third time, he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And at this point, Peter's getting a little frustrated. Like, I, I imagine that that second time, maybe he's thinking, well, I guess maybe Jesus didn't hear me. Maybe during the crucifixion, his hearing was damaged a little bit. So yeah, I'm happy to clarify for him again. I don't know. But here the third time, Peter knows something's up and he gets hurt. He's heartbroken. You're asking me again? Yes, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my So we look at the timeline of the events here, and, and there, there are significant theological connotations to this text that we don't have time to go into. There's a parallel between the three times that Christ was denied by Peter and the three times that Christ asked this question to reinstate Peter. That, that's certainly significant, and we can talk about that another day. But what I want to focus on here is the timeline of the events, because two things happened in this story, and they are so important, and they are so vital to my walk. The first thing is, is that Peter failed miserably, Worse than maybe anyone in this room has ever failed. He did a bad thing. 
He denied Christ, arguably when Christ needed him the most, if Christ ever needs any of us. He failed. Step one. Step two, Jesus sent. Think about that. Peter failed, and then immediately after that, in this first recorded conversation that Jesus and Peter have together here in the text, Jesus simply sins. Peter let Jesus down. He cowered he lied, and yet he was sent out. Now, when I read this, I absolutely would not have blamed Jesus if here in this conversation he said, you know what, Peter? I had really high expectations for you. I thought you were going to be awesome. I really did, Peter. But after this event, we're going to need to hit the brakes a little bit. I'm going to need you to take a time out and sit this one out for a while. Right? I, I, need, you, I need you to figure out. We, we got we to gotta, we gotta have some restoration here. We got to figure this out. I wouldn't have blamed Jesus. And the other side, I wouldn't have blamed Peter if after Jesus had given him this call, if Peter said, you know what? Whew, I was really burned the last time. I, I need to sit this one out, Jesus. I, I, need time to, to, I need time to work on me. Or maybe you've heard someone say this. I'm not ready to go because I need to be fed right now. I need to be filled up. I wouldn't have blamed either one of them. It was probably an appropriate response, but it's not what happens. Peter failed. Jesus sent. That was it. That was it. The moment Peter affirmed his, com- uh, his commitment to Jesus Christ, the moment he stepped into that relationship with Jesus Christ, which, by the way, isn't all that different from what you and I do as we step into a relationship with Jesus. It's really that simple, right? Like, whoever believes will have eternal life. If you confess with your mouth, you will have eternal life. If you repent of your sins, you will have eternal life. Like, like Peter's doing all of those things. He's simply stepping into a relationship with Jesus. He's saying, yes, Lord, I love you. You are the most important thing in my life. I'm giving my life over to you. Jesus sent him out. He was ready. He was ready to pour out his cup. And he was ready to pour out his cup because the moment he said yes to Jesus, the moment he entrusted Jesus with his cup, guess what Jesus was faithful to do? Fill it. Not a little bit. All the way. Until it was overflowing. In spite of everything, in spite of everything Peter had done, because he said yes to Jesus, because he stepped into that relationship with Jesus, he had everything he needed to be the person Jesus was calling him to be. It's that simple. He said, yes, I love you. I'll follow you. And Jesus said, okay, now you're ready to go. Peter's cup was full. It's that simple. When we talk about our relationship with Jesus Christ, the moment you say yes to him, the moment you step into that relationship with him, whether you've been a Christian for one day or a hundred years, your cup is full. Let me say it again. The moment you step into a relationship with Jesus Christ, your cup is full. Now, that doesn't mean your cup is the same as everyone else's cup. I think in a lot of ways, right, when we step into that relationship with Jesus Christ, like we're looking at, this is probably all we have. It's all we have. It's all we're capable of. But guess what Jesus is faithful to do? To fill it. 
right? And then, then as you progress in your relationship with him, as you dive deeper into the word, into prayer, into fellowship, into all the things he requires you to do, you're gonna notice that your cup's gonna evolve, it's gonna grow, and then before long, you're gonna be walking around with this massive Coke jug full of Jesus, overflowing, ready to pour it out in the world. The moment, the moment Peter said yes, Jesus was faithful to fill it. He had more than he needed to be who Jesus was calling him to be. But we don't, we don't pour out. I don't pour out. I think sometimes, like I look at the thing that Jesus is calling me to do and I'm just like, I'm good. My cup feels fine. I don't wanna risk losing what I have. I've got a really good thing going here, Lord. And so while I appreciate the invitation, I'm going to pass. I think sometimes we do that. We, we, we don't pour because of insecurity. Like I, I look at this and I think, man, I've worked, I've worked really hard to fill my cup. <laughs> I've worked really hard to allow you to fill my cup, which is a lie. And, and I, I'm afraid, Lord, that if I dump this out, it won't be full again. And, and I've been in a place where my cup's been empty and I don't want to go back. And so we just, we hang on to it. We put it in our pocket. Or, or, or maybe, maybe I don't, I don't pour my cup because I have cup envy, right? Like I look at this, like this is all I can bring to the table. It's all I'm capable of. And I look at you and you're just, you're championing this. And I'm like, well, I can't be that right now. They've got enough. Let them figure it out. Or, or, or maybe, maybe I don't, maybe I don't pour it out because I underestimate the grace that I've been given. See, if there was anyone in the history of history that had a reason to doubt that grace had truly washed them clean, it was Peter. But he doesn't doubt it. He doesn't. And, and, and so I think, about, I think about all the things that I have done, <clears throat> all the mistakes, all the sins, like I am broken, I'm a mess. If you guys knew how much of a mess I was, and so then I look at grace and, I, and when I underestimate it, I begin to think through, well, there's no way he could fill this up because I've damaged it so bad. Like I've poked so many holes in this thing that I'm, I'm a lost cause. And I underestimate the power of the atoning work that Christ Jesus did for me on that cross. What happens though if you're willing to, to set aside the insecurities, if you're willing to not worry about the size of someone else's cup and you just hang on to the one that he's given you and you, you willingly hand it to him, what happens, what happens when you begin to, 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 to really truly appreciate and receive and understand exactly what grace is and you hand that cup over, you know what happens? He changes the world through you. So you know what happened to Peter shortly after this, this reinstatement? Like within weeks, I feel like, in the text. Peter goes from this guy who was kind of a fumbling, bumbling, just speak first, think later type of guy, and he finds himself in a situation where he's standing in front of the very people that crucified Jesus. The same people, same faces, same names, the Sanhedrin. He's right there in front of them under arrest. His life is in jeopardy. 
And weeks before, he would have ran, he would have broken, he would have quit. Probably would have been sobbing, like, I, I forgive me, I won't do it again. But that's not what he does. Because he's handed that cup over to Christ and he's trusted that Christ is gonna fill it no matter how quickly he dumps it out. This is, this is what he says to the Sanhedrin. He says this in Acts chapter four, then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit said to them, rulers and elders of the people. That's confidence there. If we are being called out to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked, asked how he was healed, then know this, he says, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is, and he's going to quote scripture to him. They hate that, by the way. The stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. And listen to this. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under the heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. So Peter, standing in front of the enemy, pours it out. And he holds it up, and it's full again. And he pours it out, it's full again and over and over and over again and because of that faithfulness because of the fact that Peter got to a place where he could admit he could receive he could believe that everything he needs God is going to give him it changes the world and the church hasn't looked back since there's a couple of different ways then I think that, that we're, we should respond to this and I'll, I'll be quick I promise you I'm, I'm wrapping up so, so from a non-Christian perspective, you have a decision to make today. You have a cup. And the question is, what are you filling with? What are you putting inside of it? Because I promise you, whatever you're putting in it today, it's not gonna last. And you're gonna pour it out, and you're gonna have to work twice as hard to fill it back up. However, if you're willing to hand that cup over to Jesus today, right now, and say, Lord, I love you more than anything. Forgive me of my sins. I want to be made new. You know what he's, he's faithful to do? He takes that cup from you, and he fills it up, and you'll never be the same. So that hasn't happened today for you. It needs to. The other response, I think, for us that are on the other side of that conversion experience, that relationship with Jesus Christ, is that you need to walk out of here today, no matter how big or small your cup is, with the confidence that you have everything that you need to be everything that you were called to be. I read a book. Um, we were out of, out of town on a hunting trip last week, week before last, and I, I was reading a book that the name, the title of the book escapes me, but, but there was one line in it that, that just wrecked me to my core. And actually, I had to stop. I put the book up after it because it was... It, the author said that there are, there are millions of people existing in our world, millions of people who know about God but are going to hell. So the reality is, is that because uh, we, I, haven't done a good enough job communicating the necessity of the gospel and what it means that, hey, it's not enough to know the name of God. You have to receive it 
and step into a relationship with Jesus Christ, that there are going to be a lot of people. They're going to they're have some expectations of what life after this here on earth is and be disappointed. And so I stepped back in that thinking through, I don't have much. I don't. My cup's pretty small. But I'm going to trust you that every time I pour it out, and any opportunity that I have to pour it out, I'm going to do it. I'll trust that you'll refill it. And I hope with every fiber of my being that in doing so, you change the world. We have a God obligation church. That's why we're here. As much fun as this is to get together and be and to sing and, and to, like, this is amazing. I love you and I love being here, but this, if this is where we stop, if this is all that it is, then, then we're failing. And there's too much at stake for us to fail. And so my challenge this week as I walked away from the scripture is to take that cup boldly. And the moment I step out of here is to begin pouring it out and trusting that God will use it. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for today, the, the opportunity that we have to gather here, that, that you are, that you are present. That, that, that what we do here, this worship, that it's real. That you are a living God who promises to be in this very room when we gather together. God, help us as we step out of the walls of this church to to boldly hold our cups before you. To, to, get, to take them and, and to pour, given the opportunity, trusting that you will, because you were faithful and because you were good, will fill it up. Help us confidently reconcile that we have everything we need to be the thing that you need us to be. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.